Darling, we've had one hell of a time But the question on everybody's mind Where is the Hi everybody! This is live, so nobody fuck up. Matt, nobody you, fuck up. Don't fuck up. We, I feel like we already did, but we're just going to move. We past fucked that. up because we had the hot cocoa conversation before going live. Yeah, we're going to reiterate. Gonna, cocoa's gonna, a great breakfast. Cocoa's a great breakfast. Great breakfast. Teeny, do you yeah. have a favorite breakfast? Pie. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, this is the first time I'm hearing this. <laughs> not to tell your your producer buddies how to do their job, but like if you just tell people that you didn't fuck up, you can sail right past it. And oh, oh fuck! A little, a little tip, little tip from me to you for next time. Teeny oh, is media it. savvy. Um, <laughs> we should maybe introduce the show. We're sure. Yeah, yeah. who yeah. wants to do it? I I, I, I can do that. I think you, you do should that? do it. I think I should. Uh, I like should. the way you do it. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. All right, now we're going to go live right now. Three, two, one. Mm-hmm. We're live. Hi, we're live. Hi, everybody. Oh, Teeny, come on. All right, we're going to go live in three, <laughs> two, one. Hi, everybody. Uh, we've been live this whole time. <laughs> Welcome to Ideas Don't Bleed, a podcast. Uh, today, it is a live stream and a podcast. Um, normally, when we make this show, uh, we tape with a guest for around eight to ten hours. And then my producers, <laughs> Ethan and Griffin, cut that down to they salvage all the usable stuff into about an hour Mm -hmm. um today is the time when we do this with no net we know that that our guest today is not going to say a lot of horrible things that need to be cut right uh she's not gonna refuse to answer all the questions like some other guests have done Mm -hmm. and so uh we're going live with it there's no reason to edit at all Mm -hmm. so today our wonderful guest is the Always wonderful, Teeny Howard. Welcome to the show, Teeny. Thanks for having me. You know, I just learned that I'm your trust case, which is fun <laughs> for me. Yeah. yeah. Because I just learned this. That I'm here because I'm trusted to be good, which, again, yeah. if, if things y'all never should have said. There's, but, uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, there's a level of guest that, that like, we'll have on, like mm-hmm. a Jerry Duggan and Ed Brisson. I was say. Well, yeah, you can have them on, but, like, they're not you got to really dig to get good stuff out of them it's a lot of work yeah that's why we've had kelly on the show four times already and we've only made like five podcasts the problem with kelly is you know she's a great guest and she's always got really smart things to say but she's always saying just the most like violent controversial mm. negative hateful a lot of scandals. Things. you really have to go back you got to edit all that out where kelly is just really t- giving out her right. you know kill list yeah. those are our, those are our heavy edit guests and then we get yeah. Ryan Stegman on. Ryan Stegman, it's so bad that you have to do ADR later. You have to record yeah. stuff yeah, that, right. like, you have to script stuff for him so that you can replace the bullshit that he said on yeah, the, the show. Yeah, the voice you hear isn't, isn't Ryan. Right. We hire an actor to come in and just say some stuff. It's Paul Giamatti, yeah. actually. Um, <laughs> we got Paul Giamatti to play Ryan Stegman. It's Ryan's <laughs> face, and then Paul says some stuff that isn't yeah. horrifying. Well, right. Giamatti does a great Stegman. A lot of people really don't does. know that, but he's just a really good Ryan. I mean, I had no he idea. Middling, Rosenberg <laughs> says. Okay, <laughs> you know that's okay. Uh, well, Steve Buscemi's Donny Cates is a bit better. I will Steve say. Buscemi's yeah. Donny Cates is <laughs> that's not bad. Um, 
Honestly, yeah. I didn't believe it until I saw him in the makeup, and then I was like, "That's." <laughs> yeah, it's I saw the costume yeah. and the, the makeup, and I was like, "Wow, that's Donnie." It's it's a, <laughs> yeah, I had yeah, dinner with true. him, and we had dinner for two hours. <laughs> and at the end, I said something about you know uh, Donnie's parents, and he didn't know, like he hadn't done that, right. that much research, and and he broke character, and he was like, "It's me, Steve Buscemi," and I was wow. like, "Oh, okay." Did you forget? No, I just didn't know. I never knew. I didn't know. Okay. It was so, <laughs> it was so perfect. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah. But then we talked about Trees Lounge for a while. It's a solid film that maybe he okay. directed. Did he direct that? Anyone? Anyone? Matthew, <laughs> what, what is uh, this show? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rachel says we need cue cards. I, uh, I agree. Thank you, Rachel. Rachel is uh, my wonderful, wonderful editor, the editor of all things Ashcan Press. And um, <clears throat> she's not wrong, <laughs> you know. That's why we, that's why we pay her the big bucks. Sure. Uh, okay. So the the question, what is this show, is an alarming question because I realize now that maybe I'm in charge of that. And mm. yeah, that wasn't that wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared okay. for that. But we're gonna okay. wing it. Yeah. We're not gonna waste any more of your time, Teeny. I'm not gonna ask why you have two drinks for one podcast. Oh, I'll talk about that. <laughs> I would yeah, love to talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. I'm sure. a many drink. On? I'm a many drink girl. Like I've got yeah. my iced espresso here, and then I've got my hydrating uh, bubble mm-hmm. water, non-branded, because uh-huh. you know if they want to give me money, they can. Yeah, we're uh, actually we're sponsored by Avion. Went, it so, was yeah. it was actually it was my birthday on Monday, and I went to breakfast, and I sat down, and when she asked me what I wanted to drink, I was having a difficult time making a choice, and I realized it was my birthday, and so I said I want an iced coffee, a soda water, and a mimosa. I got three drinks because wow, and they all three for different purposes. Different so purposes, I'm just, exactly. I'm a multiple drink girl. I think we should all love ourselves, and if you want more than one beverage at a time, like think of how hydrated you could be if you had a water every time you had a chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. I would die. I would drown. <laughs> oh you would be so hydrated. You would have like all I, of the benefits of being hydrated. That I actually talked to a, a hydrologist once, and he said that uh, chocolate milk is more hydrating than water. It's better for you. Is that true? That yeah, that's what a hydrologist told me. That's crazy. That, that was not a hydrologist. That was still Steve in the role of Donnie. Oh my god! Uh, you never know. Time. You never know. Doing yeah. the hydrology work. I mean, it's that's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Steve. So Pod, podcasting requires right. a minimum of two drinks. You need water. You need something caffeinated. You. I, ha- I have. Right. I don't. I have hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. I don't really drink a lot of caffeinated stuff. I don't drink coffee. Um, mm-hmm. I drank. Um, I, I didn't have any caffeine for a long time except in chocolate. I was like totally mm-hmm. off caffeine. And then when I was in the throes, this is a good story. Um, in, case my, <laughs> in case this is a story about my mom. In case my mom is listening, which sometimes she is. Uh, I was when I was deep in the throes of Marvel and working long hours. I went to visit my mom and I was staying with her. And um, I wasn't. I, I stopped drinking ca- caffeinated drinks for years. And I had to do a lot of all nighters uh, to hit deadlines. And I bought some Coca Cola. And um, I was at my mom's house and she was going to bed and I, I went to the kitchen and I said goodnight to her and I got out a bottle of Coke I had bought and put it in her refrigerator. And she said, what is that? And I said, it's Coke. And she said, this job is ruining your life. As if like <laughs> I was doing rails off the counter and not like <laughs> drinking a, a Coca-Cola, I think. When you're a straight edge kid, the like... Yeah, the, the barometer of of how far you can go with something and ruin your life is much lower. So, like for me, drinking a glass of coke to her was like, how do we get him oh help? How do we? Yeah. How do we intervention? He's working um, too hard. 
he's working too hard. This job mm -hmm. is ruining. So every time I have Coke, which is not regularly, but sometimes I'll have a Coke because I don't drink coffee. Um, I always make the this job is ruining your life. Um, <laughs> comment because it's very funny to me well, it's like <laughs> it's, funny. it's like that joke about if what happened like it's like a meme about like what happens when someone tells you to bring coke to the party and someone did it with like the x-men so yeah, yeah. Like, bring coke to the party and it's like Jean Grey <laughs> brings Coca-Cola, emma brings cocaine scott brings pepsi yeah the scott, <laughs> the scott brings pepsi one killed me it's that's pretty it's good. So good um <laughs> when i was when I, I feel like i told this story already but when last time i was in buffalo new york i went to a i went to a, a bar and I got I got food and I got a and I ordered a Coke because when you're out, I don't know what to drink. I'm not gonna drink water. I'm not that kind of guy. And um So many drink opinions on this one. I know, I know. It's a this is a drink based podcast. And I, I ordered a Coke and when it came the waiter had a bunch of drinks and he was like looking for who went where and i was like oh the coke's me and he, as he put it down he was like actually it's rc cola i hope that's okay and i was like oh no it's not what? That's insane rc and it's insane cola when i order it yeah who wants remote control cola that's crazy that's like who's got rc cola on tap what it's what? bizarre <laughs> It's like ordering a hamburger and being like, hey, man, I hope venison's okay. Like, it's <laughs> not, not totally different meat. It is completely out of left field. And, like, why do you have that and not the other? I, like, I feel like weird. it's closer to being like, I hope raccoon is okay. <laughs> That's what the RC stands for. <laughs> yeah, it's raccoon. Raccoon cola. Um, it's, not, it's not Pepsi. It's not Mr. Pib or whatever the fuck that is. No. It's yeah. uh, I'm not looking for a Mr. Pib either. Mr. Pib's closer to a Dr. Pepper. Than Mr. Pib's a, a Dr. Pepper. Club. A Dr. Thunder. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know. But I feel like that's more popular than RC Cola. Sure. Yeah, yeah probably. Maybe sure. it's Welcome a well thing. Two drink minimum. Our drink podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is great. It's been ideas great. don't drink. Ideas yeah. don't drink. We're gonna ask. I start. I like to start with the boring question because then we get exciting after that. Um, that might have been the most off the rails we've started with a guest. <laughs> I'm so it was, sorry. It was bad. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to reel it in and tone it down, but no promises. I'm a thirsty girl. Yeah. I like <laughs> yeah, we're running real behind, so you're just gonna have to give yes or no answers to all these questions. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Um, I want to. I want to make sure we do a tight twenty on Mountain Dew versus Mountain Lion. Yeah. Mm. Wow! Wow! I got so an like easy twenty in me for that one. Let me yeah. tell you. If you grew up in Virginia or farther south. You can do a lot on, mm -hmm. like, well, not synthetic, but non-branded mountain lion, mountain dew. Oh, yeah. Mountain there thunder? You there you go. We got to get this on. We, <laughs> we got to. <laughs> I, I want to point out that I, I did We're try. Trying. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think it was my yeah, fault. Yeah. Matthew, continue. I just, I did that. No, that was uh, me that time. <laughs> so, so uh. Tini, we all know that you like to stay hydrated, but I guess my first real question is, like, just for the people who don't aren't familiar with you, like, where did you get your start? Mm. What what is all that stuff? Just do the intro. This is yeah. what we're supposed to do in minute one. <laughs> <laughs> I started writing comics, or started my first comic was published in uh, 2014. There was a in 2013 there was a, a talent hunt from Top Cow Comics. Who, if you're listening, mm. you probably know who they are, but they're part of Image and they did Witchblade and The Darkness and Magdalena and uh, Aphrodite Nine and all those comics. And they're still around and they do. Uh, talent hunts every year, which are a great ways to check out part of the comics industry if you've never, if you've always considered it. Um, and it's a contest that's run in a way that is actually something really uncommon in comics. Usually in comics, if you want someone to look at your comic, it has to be something that you made that's all you. It's not their stuff at all. But talent hunt traditionally is like 
gives you a prompt and asks you to make something, a short script, draw a few pages, whatever, with their um, with their prompt. They only pay you if uh, it's the one they, they publish. And instead of it being like a situation where it's like, give us your IP and your ideas, and you don't get it back. It's, I think, a well-run contest because it's like, it's it's our IP. It's our ideas. Like, yeah. and, you know, like I know the people that run it. They're not like scanning through it to steal ideas and stuff like that. It's, right. it's a really genuinely they run it with the um, spirit of giving a chance to, you know, passionate comic fans that want a chance in the industry. So I wrote a script, uh, I sent it in. Um, I broke a few of the rules they tell you not to do, but they really liked it <laughs> anyway. Uh, and it was called Magdalena seven sacrament. And so in 2014, I had a comic with a little image logo in my name on it in mm. the corner. That was the coolest thing possible. And that was like my hauling card. And I, I took that thing everywhere and I did, uh, anthologies. I went online. I got to know people. I went to cons and found the pavement and talked to people and talked to editors. Uh, and I did, uh, with my friend, Matt here helped me get in touch a little bit with black mask. And I did a comic there called the skeptics, which was my first creator owned book. Mm. Uh, since then I've done two other creator owned books, one called Ethanods and one called, uh, assassinistas. And now I do one on my Substack called phenomenosity, mm. uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but mostly if you know me, you might probably know me from what I do, uh, over at Marvel and DC, I write, uh, Excalibur, Knights of X, uh, the upcoming Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain. I read a lot of X-Men stuff in Krakoa um, over at Marvel. And then at DC, I do Gotham stuff. I write Catwoman. I'm going to be writing Harley Quinn. And I co-write a book called Punchline the Gotham Game with uh, my husband, Blake Howard, that just came out yesterday. I think the first issue came out. Congratulations. It's a, it's a wonderful first issue. I read it. Thank you. I'm honestly <laughs> super, super happy that we are writing Punchline around the time that you're writing Joker because yeah. um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like getting to write Catwoman uh, with Chip writing Batman. Like it's someone that like, I know I like, they're a friend of mine. We have similar sensibilities. So I don't feel like I'm writing. I don't like the feeling of working against other writers. I mean, I do when it's something you plan, like, you know, sometimes like sure. you plan that, right? Like writing uh, things together, you, you want sometimes to create different tension, but sometimes you're just trying to be harmonious and tell a story and you want to feel like, for example, if I'm pulling this way, I want to feel like the person doing the work is willing to pull the other way and not yeah. just ignoring that I'm pulling at all and, and messing things up. So it's like working with writing Catwoman now. Chip is a good friend of mine. He's someone who's writing I love. Um, we get to talk together and plan things, and we like really similar things about both those characters. We have similar ideas about what their um, merits are and what their flaws are and whatever. So I wasn't aware that Chip had friends. Yeah, you don't have I'm to. I'm working on it. Okay. okay. All, right. All right. All right. Sure. I, I didn't know Chip was. I didn't know Chip was writing Batman. Good for him. Is that? Uh, yeah. Good, okay. Yeah. Good job. Good That's job, little buddy. Yeah. We yeah. got. Oh. We, we got him like reading maybe a year and a half ago, <laughs> and we were like, "Wow, do you want to write? Do you want to yeah. write Batman?" You know. Yeah. Um. Because he likes to do. He likes to do those little drawings. He does his little yeah, drawings, and those are cute. Yeah. They are so cute, you know. They're, they're so, so cute. cute. So cute. And he—have you ever seen him do it? He gets a little furrow in his. Furrow <laughs> <laughs> so hard. I mean, yeah. and, and frankly, I don't. I think. I think having you and having Chip is good because I don't think enough men, especially straight white men, are getting to write these right. books. So I think it's really an honor to get to work with you guys. Yeah, I feel. Um, I feel. I feel that weight a lot. I hope Chip does too. The burden of speaking for our and gender. I'm sorry. And, and I can't know what it's like. Right. No. 
But we hope that it, when you read the Joker, I feel like that it, for me, I feel like that is the straight white male experience. Like that's what right. I'm putting into it. Like that's when you read the Joker, like that's what it's like to be me. We all go Joker mode. Yeah. Everybody's yeah, gone Joker it. mode. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, in all in all honesty, it's like I, I really like writing like punchline and coming up like Harley with you writing Joker because it's like you're someone who's writing I really love and i i trust you mm. as a storyteller and we're friends and we like can you know. <laughs> matt's gotten increasingly aggressive on the show when anyone tries to compliment him it's just getting it's, not a, it's not a great time the no i i i love uh that you're writing punchline uh you and me and and blake had a fun call with our editor dave Elgus to sort of talk plans and it's it's always fun to like you know, we've all been on those calls where you you have the. I mean, we all haven't. You and me have. Um, where where like you have to hear other people's ideas, and sometimes you're just like, this isn't what I would do. This isn't, and it's fine. And you know, you're not supposed to. Not everything is supposed to be for you, and you're not supposed to be every writer or whatever. But it is always invigorating when you hear the other person's ideas, and they get you excited, and they get ideas going. And I feel like yeah. that that's really fun. And you and Blake have like so much fun stuff in the punchline book that I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And it's fun even when it's like like we didn't you and i like we didn't like plan our books together but knowing what each other's got going on and it's like we can talk and be like oh well just keeping that in mind that just informs you know what my character has on their mind right now or like yeah. you know um just being aware okay you're doing this for six issues i'm doing this for six issues but at the end this person's going to feel differently so when they show up with you or when they show up with me it's just a yeah. way to things like evolving and fresh and that's i think one of my favorite parts of like the collaborative nature of this is that like uh i i am not a writer who thinks my first instincts are right all the time because i <laughs> i think instead i'm a good writer who takes notes <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i, I think it's fun. for me it's always funny because like when i was coming up i was writing a lot of like marvel stuff sort of in a bubble like I, I didn't know other the I mean I knew some of them but like no one I wasn't sharing my stuff with anybody but an editor and they'd be like this is good and and the weight for me a lot and it still is was the idea of like oh these are characters that like Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko mm -hmm. and, you know all the Chris Claremont all these legends created and like you feel that weight and it and it's exciting to be like oh, I'm adding a little stitch to this quilt but it it wasn't until I started going to the the summits and the retreats that I was like oh now we're like building something together and even if it's not necessarily reflective in all the books like you see what the lay of the land is and the tone of everyone's books and where they're going and it helps inform you and it, it helps feel like you're not just baking a dish you're part of a huge meal that everyone is making for this for the people to consume and it's it's much i've it's a different energy and a different sort of fun but what are the beverages with that meal uh, it's always mountain lion, which I just discovered okay. is a beverage. <laughs> Diet mountain lion. Uh, was not aware that that was a beverage, but yeah. Um, mountain lion, sponsor of the show. Um, <laughs> thank you, mountain lion. Thank you, mountain lion, for your generous support and not suing us for that joke. Um, <laughs> Nothing the, refreshes like a cold, crisp mountain lion. Oof. Mountain lion. Oof. I don't wow. even believe this is real. I'm looking it up. Go ahead. <laughs> I, look, uh, I, I trust Tini. I trust her implicitly. Um, I have a question that's maybe a weird question, uh, <laughs> oh, but it's something on my mind. Uh, you were um, you were big into cosplay. You were a cosplayer, um, and I and I know a couple other writers who are cosplayers and and creators who are cosplayers. 
it's very interesting to me because I've always, and maybe this is my own thing, I've always felt like writing comics and cosplaying come from like an equal amount of passion, but from sort of different angles, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That that there's just a sort of different perspective on it, and and uh, that a cosplayer has about a character and how they feel about it, and and um. I just sort of wonder if if you if you feel that if you felt like your relationship to characters was different when you were cosplaying as them than when you're writing them if there was a transition for you as a person going from someone like to cosplay do you still I I mean I know you dress fancy a lot uh, yeah, but, just, but I do I do sometimes go to cons and when I'm walking around people are like what are you dressed as can I take your picture and I'm like this is uh, this is just how I look I just, <laughs> I just dress like a cartoon character like I'm sorry. <laughs> um it gives me peace I don't know uh, I don't know I've always like really been interested in like style and fashion and costumes if I wasn't in comics um even if I was still a writer I would 100% be like a fashion writer um I've always had a like when I was a little girl. My favorite game was dress up. Like people could just give me their old Halloween costumes or their old like theater costumes, and I would just put them in a trunk. I would just walk around the house in it. Like I just always had a really, really deep relationship to style and fashion, and it's always been art for me. It's always been self-expression. I was mm. totally one of those kids in high school that would wear Christmas decorations in my hair in the middle of April, you know, just because they were part of a look to me, and nobody else got it, and that was okay. Um, I was just, I was that kid. I've always really loved dress up and it's always like something about me. Like I did, uh, like whenever I watch movies with people, I'm always that person that's annoying about the costumes. I mean, not in a way where I'm like, that's wrong. That's wrong. But just, I mean, granted yeah. a bad wig will, I, sure. I, yeah, bad wig will ruin my day. But like, usually I watch costumes and I'm, or watch movies and TV and I'm just like, oh, that's so cool. Like, you know, her costume becomes more and more red. She gets more and more evil or like basic things like that. Right. Um, so for me, like costuming is storytelling. Costuming is, and like how characters are dressed is like a big part of like art and expression. Um, and I'm just, I've always been kind of like an obsessive. So like, if I was, you know, really into Spider Woman, and I was like, you know, reading and rereading the like Bendis Spider Woman comics, and I was like doodling Spider Woman and like writing fan fiction about Spider Woman, which is another thing I did, then I would be like, I also want to have a Spider Woman costume. I was never the sort of person to be like, I'm this character, like, <laughs> like them. I'm going to change all of my internet stuff. It was just always like, this is what I'm into right now. I'm into Spider Woman. Mm-hmm. I would get yeah. the costume. And sometimes in a weird way, that would be like, I would get so tired of the costume by making it and embodying it. I would stay up late. I would be walking around with sore feet but by like the end of the con i'd be like i'm sick of fucking spider woman <laughs> but i'd be like but that girl's scarlet witch costume looks really fucking cool <laughs> yeah, right. and then I'd, like, develop a new obsession so like i would just it was a way of like showing love like the characters i always cosplayed in comics uh there was a time where i would just like cosplay characters with my friends that i didn't necessarily love when i was into like anime and video games and stuff but once i was into comics pretty solidly I was like, I only want to cosplay characters I love. So it's like mm-hmm. all the comic characters I've ever cosplayed have been like, like Spider Woman, Wiccan, Scarlet Witch. Like they're all characters that right. I, I have written by now. Uh, Iron Man, like stuff like that. Like I just characters that I really love. Uh, so yeah, it was just like a way of like embodying like something I love. I love, I still, most of my clothes, like when I you know, dress fancy, like most of my clothes are altered or sewn by me in some way. Usually I buy things. Wow. And I, I just, I, don't i get something and i'm like i don't like it until i've made it into what i want like i buy everything at the thrift store i'm just clothing yeah. and fashion and style is just like a weird 
expressive comfort for me. Uh, I make so all my own clothes too. It looks they look really good. They look yeah. Oh, wow. Um, You've you. got a real like gap vibe going on. <laughs> 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 Yeah. This is live. That doesn't get edited out. God, God damn it. I feel like that hurt him more than you thought it would. God damn it, Griffin. Yeah, don't say that. I feel like that that hurt us. I feel like that hurt us both because to me it was hurtful. And for Griffin, it means he got fired. And so it's like, it's difficult for both. It's hard for you, Ethan, because now you run the show. It's hard for you, Tina, because now you also co run the show. I also become physically nauseous when men mention the gap. So. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. Um, I'm sorry, man. I didn't even mean it. I just, it just was no, the sorry. first thing you that s- came out of me. I was searching for a bit. So I didn't no, have you it. Saw the, you saw the shot and you took it. There's no, there's no shame. And when you, when you get the chance to assassinate someone, you take it. That's true. That's, that's my motto. <laughs> um, Tina, can I ask, can I ask you really quick? Did you say a bad wig will ruin your day in a yeah. movie? Yeah. Are there any that like stick out as like the worst you've ever seen that drove you crazy? Season one of Game of Thrones are some of okay. the I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, it's like what, what you can look for are like hairlines. If there's yeah, yeah, yeah. none, that's the worst. Sometimes if there's one, you can t- like, oh, another really good example is I saw those Hobbit movies in like super freaking IMAX. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. every close up on those doors made me wanted to like puke <laughs> into my popcorn because you can like see <laughs> all the mesh, the hair on all of Oof. their prosthetics is like a perfectly even grid because it's a prosthetic yeah. and not real hair. And that's fine from here. But when they're shooting it in like super IMAX from this close from these, like it just looks like a, a, a wig for or like a, a fake santa beard from a play or something right. and i'm like any thoughts on the on the cumberbatch dr strange wig it's getting more and more intense i feel like it's getting bigger and bigger and i bigger. think <laughs> they don't think we see it like at some point he's just gonna be marge simpson and we're gonna be yeah. like what happened I, <laughs> I feel like i don't notice that stuff too much i feel like i'm mm-hmm. just not my brain isn't trained that way and then i watched um yellow jackets uh um, showtime which i really liked and there's one scene where um the 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 punky girl um just has a wig on but like all her other scenes it seems like it's her hair and then in one it's it looks so fake and crazy and it must be a reshoot and i was like oh she must have either like changed her hair or I was like, I think right after this, she was shooting um, Book of Boba Fett and she, and her hair is black. Mm. So maybe they just like called her back from Book of Boba Fett. I don't know the details, but it was so distracting to me. And I was like, oh, I, I really hope this doesn't become a thing that I, I care yeah. about. <laughs> okay, here's, here's another one that will ruin you maybe. Um, there's a certain like yellow shade of blonde that's like everywhere now because it's the mm-hmm. color you get when you like bleach or peroxide darker hair. But it's, like, not a hair color. There's, like, a yellowness to it that, like, mm-hmm. when you dye your hair that color, you have to do things to it to take that yellowness out. You have to kind of put, like, blue and purple dye over it to kind of color right. correct it. Because it doesn't look natural. Because hair doesn't grow that yellow. And it drives me nuts when I'm watching, like, a pirate movie in the 17th century. <laughs> and people have, like, peroxide blonde yellow wigs. And I'm like, you could have bought a wig that didn't look like that. Like, it's a wig anyway. <laughs> Why did you buy the Sailor Moon yellow one? Why did you not like, why is there not a database somewhere of wigs through different lenses? How bad they look. Like it just. So you, so you feel like Sailor Moon is the most authentic looking (laughs) of all things. Sailor Moon is the most 
Well, no, so we shouldn't pick that Sailor Moon color. Oh, don't go with Sailor Moon. So the Sailor Moon is, is the least authentic. She's the most authentic woman that's ever existed. Sure. That's sure. No. Fact. She eats, yeah. she cries, she loves her cat. Just she like a real world. just like a real woman. Like hey. <laughs> Like Baby, I contain multitude. <laughs> <laughs> That's me, all right? Um, so uh, going back to things that aren't wigs, one of the things I've found interesting is, like, I feel like the generation of, of upcoming for upcoming writers at the big two behind you, I feel like there are a lot of writers who are coming in who, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but, like, I feel like they're pulling less from the indie comic scene and pulling and looking for other places, or maybe they're just diversifying where they pull from. Not that they're pulling less, but there's sure. more writers coming in from uh, YA. There's more writers coming in from uh, other things, but your you have a very good pedigree of indie books. You have, you know, a bunch of creator owned books before you and, and stuff. And I feel, I I'm sort of wondering, like, do you feel like, doing skeptics and, and euthanauts and assassinistas helped inform you for working at Marvel? Or do you feel like it's a totally different thing? Because I, I know people answer this either way where they're like, Oh, it's totally different. And then some people are like, no, I learned everything mm. in, in, on, in the Indies. And I'm just wondering where you land on that. Uh, I'm so my very first comic experience, uh, well, you know that that got made all the way into uh an actual comic was at top cow so i had kind of a weird like halfway experience in my very first one right where i had an editor they hired and paid my artist they hired and paid me uh pending you know my my they liked my script so they paid me for it um i got to go over it and work with an editor who showed me layouts who showed me you know the pencils and then inks and then you know, colors, and I got to assist in the lettering process. So it was really like a lot like, mm -hmm. a, you know, a, a big two were really, a, a, you know, a, a comics company yeah. uh, experience. Now, I didn't always have that experience on some of my indie books. It's a lot sure. more hands-on. Uh, you wear a lot more hats. You jump in to do a lot more things when they're needed. You know, you, yeah. you, you, everyone's an EMT. You're all on call, basically, and you're all kind of jumping in whenever you can to fix things, especially like the week before a book goes to print, when you're not just responsible for the words, you're responsible for everything from the ink to the staples, to the paper, mm -hmm. to the shipping, to the announcing, to all of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I definitely am glad that my first experience was like, it was kind of cool. It was like, I got one issue of that, of that, like, this is how comics are made professionally. And then I was mm -hmm. like, into the deep end for like three or four years. Yeah. Where for then three or four years after that, I just did anthologies, creator owned stuff, indie books. But I've been, I mean, I did a few things like a Valiant, a Boom, and stuff like that. But by and large, like most of my time was taken up because it, you get to spend less time on it the more people handle the other stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. When it's, you know, you're, when it's a big project, you spend a lot more time on it. I, I always find creator owned stuff to be massively more time consuming than sure. stuff at the big two. Um, so I was super glad I had that experience and I highly recommend like people having that experience of just making comics on your own. It's hard because the indie scene in like 2015 looked really different than it does right mm -hmm. now. Um, yep. At that time, it was kind of the dead center of like the image boom. And there were so many creators like you, Matt, who were just 
had just made something cool and were just kicking ass with it. Um, and the entertainment industry has shifted really weirdly in the past like seven or eight years. Yeah. So I feel like we're in a part of comics right now where it's just like there's so much money flinging around so many weird places in entertainment, mm-hmm. so much so many people and so many things are weirdly fly by night. Um, and yeah. so, I mean, my advice to creators right now is if you can get money to make your own shit, do it, like yeah. take it, you know, like if somebody is offering you money to, uh, make things and you want to make things like do it. I think it's super cool that there are a lot of people that learn at the big two. And there are also sure. a lot of those people have experience in weird ways. Right. Like my friend, Alyssa Wong, who's writing Deadpool, uh, which by the way is great. You shall pre-order it. It's, awesome Mm. um and uh like they wrote some of the overwatch comics when they were an employee at blizzard yeah Yeah. they had comics experience i mean and they're they're like a writer they have like lots of experience in that but like they had written comics for a video game company when they were also writing like other things for that company but i think it was just kind of like and you're going to do these comics because they love comics Uh, and then now they're writing deadpool so uh I mean, yeah, like there are a lot of people that come from places where they do have comics experience, even if it's not like indie sure. comics experience. Yeah. But there is like, I mean, look, my dad has been a mechanic. You know, he does, he does IT stuff now, but he's known how to be a mechanic my whole life. When I was a kid, he was a mechanic and he built a car when he was a teenager. And it's just like, I never think it's a bad idea to do that. Like if something yeah. is your job, I don't think it's ever a bad idea to strip it down to its parts and put it all back together. Yeah. Scripts or cars or I guess people, if that's legal where you live but um it's you know. it's not but um <laughs> the the yeah i, I mean it's, it's the wild west out here yeah you guys you guys are stripping people down to their basic parts all the time um the we do it here too in new york but it's not legal. um right. <laughs> you know it's funny that you said that about about figuring out all the parts because i i actually have a note here but i wasn't gonna mention it but like you worked in a comic book store correct i did and that was also a huge part of the equation there's so much i know about the industry from working in a comic store and frankly there's so much negativity sometimes in working in entertainment that working in a comic store is what gave me good vibes and kept me around. Yeah, right right yeah i mean that's a, that's the same for me like i worked in a comic shop and it it's so i mean i knew i was trying to make comics and i i had a i had a better paying job that was taking up all my time and i was like i need to leave that job so that i have free time and i want to do it and i was like well i'll look for something that's part-time or like less work and then because uh, I had savings and stuff, and I was like, "Oh, I should work in a comic store and be immersed in it." And and I just wanted to be around comics and get a discount on comics. But actually, <laughs> like, it informed so much of of the early stuff for me in like what I like and what I don't like, and how I want to approach things, and and how the audience approaches things. There's nothing more informative to being a comic creator than standing in the back of a comic store for three hours and watching what people pick up off the shelf and flip through, and what they end up buying, and what they end up yeah, putting right. back. What people um, say and what people ask about, what just catches their eye. Like yeah. when people walk in and stare at the indie wall, what's the thing that makes them go, what's blank out loud? You yeah, know, like right. you want to be that book, right? For someone. Yeah. Not everyone is that book for everyone, but you, unless you're Brian and I, Fiona. <laughs> but- <laughs> well, well, it's funny because like I think about Saga a lot because like that was the number one. Um, that was just such a huge lesson. I was, I finished working in the comic shop maybe right when that was coming out. I, my timeline is all screwy, but like, you could just see people just the cover and just be like, oh, the simple image, the stark image, the bright palette. Like it's not. And and then you look at the wall and it's not a shot at Marvel and DC cover artists. 
I know how the 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 cake is made. I know how you know how it's all put together, but uh, there's something really good about having a cover that doesn't look like every other cover. There's something, mm -hmm. and people, you know, I know and that there's Marvel a... does do covers that look like that, which is so funny. Now they love printing covers that are like a blank background and a character doing something I know. It's funnier like... or like you know. Uh you know, uh, intimate, something, I'm doing something realistic, right? Because that's what worked about the saga covers. Yeah. Flat, flat, like the, the text you saw at work that day, the flat color, and then a beautiful image of something so intimate, it felt like a candid photo of a real yeah. man. Yeah, know? and it's it's not, yeah, and and I, I just always, every single time, and much love to all the people who've ever graced anything I wrote with a cover, but the the issue one, the whole team looking straight ahead cover that is the formula at Marvel and DC, and I'm just like, I don't know why that would grab me. I just don't, you know, mm -hmm. maybe for a certain reader, it's like, oh, you want to see who the characters are. You want to see who's on the team. I mean, personally, I would be like, buy the book to find out who's on the team should be the <laughs> better selling point. But I understand not doing that and understand and want to rope people in. But I'm just like, I don't see how this is a selling point anymore. Like, give me something, like you said, intimate or dramatic and not just a bunch of people looking back at me because yeah. I can see that 40 times every week on the wall. I mean, the cover in my in my career that's probably gotten me the most attention, mostly positive, some negative, but it was certainly the biggest deal, like, you know, cover of my career was Catwoman 39, where she's on the pole. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, it's, like, yeah, I kind of had to fight for it. Not fight, but I had to convince, you know, we, we had to do some convincing that yeah. it was, like, you know, because not everyone... Like I, I live in LA where, you know, grandmas go to pole fitness on Sunday, after sure. church, right? Like not everywhere is like that. And it, it, you know, it fits the story. It's part of what's going on in the book, but it was like one of those things where it was just Catwoman on a pole. Like she's not fighting anyone. She's not like, look, it's just like, it's, it's, it's shocking. It's, yeah. you know, it generates conversation or whatever. And it was like, yeah, like that cover people go nuts for it. Even now when they see they'll walk by my table and be like Catwoman on a pole. And it's just like, you have it has to be unexpected and make sense and it's unexpected yeah. the comic cover to see something intimate but it makes sense when you see it and yeah greatest being you know, a staples drawing it you know yeah yeah for sure um another thing that that i feel like i learned in a comic shop is is coming up with the name that is somewhat memorable or at least easily identifiable that you're not just like it's a simple word it's whatever and you know i feel like you know i made we can never go home and four kids walk no bank and what's the first place from here and and i'm an asshole and i have these books with long names that but i always say people are like well i can't remember exactly what the name is and i'm like it doesn't matter if you go into a comic shop and say where's the farthest like they're gonna know what you're talking about there's no other book that sounds like that <laughs> and what i like is that like now a bunch of people are doing no, that. Are that. like james, james james tynan al ewing they're all doing Alvin it wide, yeah yeah and like they're all doing it better than me and fuck them but <laughs> I, lo I love them but also you know i hate them a little bit it's <laughs> um, fine um I, more most of the days i love them uh but i like I they're doing visibly better than me okay. yeah but well the thing is that uh what i like what i always like about you and your creator own is that you're not that kind of asshole who comes up with the obnoxiously long title you come up with a different kind of asshole title which is fake words mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i really appreciate that because you have assassinistas you have euthanots you have phenomenosity all difficult to say all <laughs> not real words <laughs> Um, it's really admirable. It's really you found your own lane into being fucking obnoxious and naming your books. And I have so much respect for that. 
That actually means a lot, though, because it is my flavor <laughs> of fucking obnoxious. Like, I know, like, okay, granted, there is a real reason for it, and it's that my first comic was called The Skeptics, and I would Google Skeptics of comic, course. and it would be, like, comics fans skeptical about And it was like, I could yeah. not. Right, and right, I had, right. at the time, I was a copywriter, so I knew SEO. Like, mm-hmm. and I still did this to myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am too skilled at SEO. Like, I do SEO optimization for other people. Mm-hmm. And I screwed myself. So after that, I was like, I'm going to make up a word for my comics so that they, even if people can't pronounce it, they can look at it and be like, it was that word. And the other thing about it is, and this is the asshole part, are you ready? I think it's important to, with whatever you do and everything and how you present yourself, I think you need to court the kind of reader you want, right? Matt does a good job with his titles because they all sound like punk songs. Like they all sound like, you know, like there are no big words in them. But they're all like a simple question and they're all just like or a simple statement. They're just like a, a they're not they're, there's just something about them that says like we're stripped down. We're being real. Come in and talk to us. And that's mm-hmm. really how Matt's books work. Thank you. I uh, am a pretentious asshole. <laughs> and I, I very much I like to read books that challenge and confuse me. I love the feeling of turning on a movie or opening a book and instantly being in and going, wow, I have no idea what the fuck is going on, but I'm fascinated. <laughs> I really mm-hmm. love that. Some people hate it. And those, a lot of those people don't like my books and that's okay. You guys, if you're out there listening, like I, everyone is allowed to dislike my books, whatever they want. If you come comment on my shit about it and I delete it, it's because I have the power to. So why would I want to look at that? But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone's allowed to dislike my books. I realize that I'm writing books for people who I, it's all I can do. I can, I can sure. connect as an artist with people whose values and meaning and the things I don't mean that like morals and, ethics i just mean like the things that are important to them love sex death whatever are also the same things that are important to me and that i know that like with my titles if somebody reads it and is like this that's a pretentious title and i can't pronounce it like that's fine keep walking you're probably not gonna like my book go with god we probably like the same (laughs) stuff but we don't like the same thing um but if someone reads it and they're like that's a weird word. I've never seen that word. Like I write titles for people that click on Wikipedia articles of things they know nothing about. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I'm that girl. So I write books for those people. I, you know, it's, it's funny because like, uh, I think that's one of the things that like when we first met, like, I think we knew each other a little bit online and, and it's spoken a little. And I remember like, I was encouraging you to pitch to black mask cause I was working there a little bit and doing stuff. And I remember your, your pitch came in, and um, I read it and I was like, oh, I fucking love this. Like, I love the pitch for the skeptics. And I loved it because it was like, I was like, oh, this isn't how I write. This isn't how I think about stories. This is confusing and ambitious and fucking wild and cool and all these things. And I was like, it's espionage and it's Cold War and it's intrigue and it's superpowers and it's all these fucking things that, that are cool. And I remember having a conversation with uh, Matt Pizzola, who runs it. And he was like, he's like, this is a really cool pitch. And he was like, you know, I, I don't I haven't read enough of her stuff to know if she can pull this off. And I, I remember saying to him, I was like, I don't know. And I was like, but fuck, don't you want to find out? Like, this is so <laughs> ambitious and cool. Like, who doesn't want to see this? Like, y- you built a car. Now I want to see if you can if it drives like that was why I showed up. And like now I it's fun because I see now I know that you can do these things like I, I hear your concepts I hear your pitches and I'm like oh man my brain doesn't work that way I don't think about story that way um and then you come up with these things and I'm like oh this is so complex and smart and brilliant and fits together in these weird ways that I can't think of and I think sort of the fun for me 
is not knowing what the fuck is going on and being like out of my depth and out of my element. And I, I understand how that's not a for everybody comic or everybody story. I mean, like, I mean, I won't name names, but we're in a, we're in a sort of uh, you and me are in a group chat with some people and someone was uh, shitting on Andor and was like, <laughs> I don't know how these people relate. I don't know what these relationships are. I don't know what this is. And I was like, it was Frank Miller. It was, yeah, we're in a group. Yeah, he doesn't get it. Um, but no, I was just like, I just was like, yeah, that's why I love it. Like, I want to know the answers to these questions. And like, that's so much of the fun. And it was so interesting to just see like a, another writer who I, I think a lot of the times we mm. are very on and even kill with. I see them diverge there. I was like, that's interesting to me. But anyway, that was a yeah. digression just yeah. so that I could talk shit about people who talk shit about Andor. <laughs> not I like cool. how you set it up by complimenting me so I would abide it and not be like, all right. Like, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was like, let's see what you have to say. And you were like, remember when uh, our so-called friend Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with Teeny Howard. Make sure to check out Phenomenosity as well as everything else Teeny's working on by visiting her substack, The Scorpio Room, at teenyhoward.substack.com. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week with another wonderful guest. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at ashcanpress on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Where is the boy?